This is Digital Health Today, episode 11. Welcome to Digital Health Today, the podcast focused on the leaders, innovators, and technologies transforming healthcare today and tomorrow. Find us online at digitalhealthtoday.com. Hello, friends, and thanks for tuning in. Before we jump into today's episode, I wanted to let you know about two time-sensitive opportunities for the innovators in the audience. First up, Startup Bootcamp Digital Health Accelerator is a dedicated accelerator for innovative startups that combine medical knowledge with smart technologies. They provide mentorship, funding, logistics support, and access to a huge network of corporate partners, angels, VCs, and mentors around the world. In fact, I'm one of them. The application deadline for this fantastic program is approaching quickly. In fact, it closes on August 31st, 2016, so you need to act fast. The good news is the application is only 21 questions long, so you don't have any reason to put it off. You can find all the details online. Just head over to digitalhealthtoday.com forward slash startup bootcamp. You can apply there, and I hope to see you in Berlin this year. Next up, Red Hat OpenShift Online Next Generation. Are you using it? If you build a new app using this platform that helps people manage their mental or physical health, or even if you take an existing personal health app and release it on the OpenShift Online Next Generation platform, you can win some outstanding prizes. In fact, over $150,000 of prizes are up for grabs, but the deadline for submission is coming up on September 21st, 2016. Visit digitalhealthtoday.com openshift to learn more and enter to win. Hello and welcome to the 11th episode of Digital Health Today. If you've searched for connected health devices in an Apple store or on Amazon, you'll see a familiar brand there among the choices. iHealth Labs is a pioneer in the personal mobile health revolution. In 2011, they launched the very first mobile app-enabled blood pressure device. In 2012, they followed this up with the very first wireless blood pressure monitor. And in 2013, they launched a wireless blood glucose monitor iHealth was the very first health device to be carried in Apple retail stores, and they've been on a roll ever since, leading the way with connected health devices that are stylish and simple to use. On this episode, I speak with Uwe Diegel, the CEO of iHealth Labs Europe, who is based in Paris, France. Uwe is a serial entrepreneur who has started several successful healthcare companies. He has several patents and has taken those designs through to production and commercialization. He is a highly sought-after speaker in various aspects of cardiovascular health, and he speaks at conferences around the world to share his vision and experience. In this episode, we discuss the transition of connected gadgets to connected health, the importance of design and making devices that are easy to use, and the evolution of invisible technologies. Now, if you don't own an iHealth Labs product already, or even if you do, Uwe put together a special discount code for products from iHealth Labs. Just go to iHealthLabs.com and make your selection and enter promo code DIGITALHEALTH, all one word, and receive 20% off your purchase. You can also find that discount in the show notes at digitalhealthtoday.com forward slash 11. Once you've done that, drop me a line and let me know what you think. I'd love to hear from you. You can find me on Twitter at healthtechdan, or you can drop me an email at host at digitalhealthtoday.com. Now, without further ado, let's tune into the conversation with Uwe Diegel. Uwe, I've shared a little bit of a background with our listeners. Can you fill in some blanks and tell us a bit about your personal journey? Well, I originally started my first career then as a concert pianist. And then at the age of 26, I destroyed my right arm. I've got a partial restrictions in movement in my right arm. And so I recycled myself in clinical research. And I have a great love for attention to detail. I just love waking up in the morning and thinking, I can't wait to get to work and develop new technologies. 
So I went into medical research and I quickly developed a very keen interest in the heart. So mostly that is my biggest passion is heart disease. Oh, it sounds like a terrible thing to say, but I really like working on cardiovascular diagnostics because I believe that the heart is the most important organ of the, of the body. I know it sounds a bit like a Walt Disney script, but basically we all die of a broken heart. We die when the heart stops beating. So for me, doing work on the heart to actually extend the life of the heart, the life of the muscle, and working on peripheral arterial disease is uh, truly a passion. You're based in Paris, France. When I visited you in Paris last year, you had a really impressive collection of antique medical devices. And we don't have time to go through all of them now, but can you tell us about one or two that you prize most or you think is most interesting? Well, over the years, as I said, I've developed a keen interest in, in the history of medicine. I have probably today the world's largest collection of medical antiques having to do with cardiovascular disease, about 3,500 instruments, starting from 1616, William Harvey's discovery of uh, blood circulation, right through to the 17th, 18th, 19th century. And uh, it's been for me an incredible tool for medical research because in my collection, I have devices that are actually better than what we have today, that what we are using today, but that never saw the light of day because lack of marketing of the right people, it wasn't the right time or the right place. And quite often, I go back into this collection to try to understand how technology evolved. And I take these technologies and I will bring, add them to using modern technology one of the most interesting devices that I have is a device developed in 1908 by Professor Victor Pachon in, in University of Bordeaux, which is the Pachon Oscillometer, which is a spectacular device in which it was basically a huge big blood pressure monitor, but it looked like it was ripped off the deck of a ship. I mean, it's one of those old medical antiques on which there were two dials, two cuffs, and Professor Pachon's idea was to actually put one cuff on the arm, one cuff on the upper leg, compress the arteries to death using a bicycle pump, and then slowly release the pressure and compare the amplitude of the, of the oscillations at the level of the leg and at the level of the arm to see if there was any form of arterial disease. And this is, in fact, incredibly innovative for the time. And I've taken this technology now, and I've converted it using modern, modern sensors where I put a sensor on the arm and I put a sensor on the leg to measure an ankle brachial index, which is today the best predictor of cardiovascular mobility and mortality, I'm also using it to do measure pulse wave velocity, to do cardiac output and systolic fraction. And this is, again, directly derived from ancient technology. The idea was there. We just brought back a new dose of future into the device. Fascinating. When was that one developed, the one that's in your collection? That particular device was made in 1908 by Victor And It was in use, uh, actually, funny enough, I tend to think that everything we did in cardiovascular diagnostics before 1920 was better than what we're doing today. I tend to think that the invention of blood pressure, of blood pressure measuring devices, was generally a mistake. Because in the 1915, 1920, when blood pressure became a commonplace instrument, it replaced the ancient art of palpation. And with palpation, the doctor had a much better idea of the arterial state of the patient. With uh, palpation, you can do lots of diagnosis, such as atrial fibrillation and many other cardiovascular diseases. And this was just replaced by two simple numbers, which are the systolic and the diastolic. And it tended to, to dumb down, in fact, uh, peripheral arterial disease. But uh, at the same time, it also gave us a new, quick and easy tool for 
general diagnostics. So there's a bit of positive and a bit of negative in both. Now, I think it's accurate to say that the eye health products were the first medical products to be featured in the Apple store. Is that accurate? Yes, that is correct. I mean, originally, I've never actually considered the connection to be an invention. I've been manufacturing and developing medical devices for the last 20 years, and then connection arrived. So we just added the connection to the medical devices. It was, for me, a natural evolution of the state of the devices, not so much as an invention. The problem is today, connected health has become the new nirvana for business. So everybody wants to be involved in connected health. In many ways, it's become too easy to make a new product. Any idiot with a good idea goes and puts it on Kickstarter and Indiegogo, which means that every two days you have a new magic product that comes out. And this is tending to gadgetize the industry in the eyes of the doctor. The doctor doesn't really think of connected health. He thinks of connected gadgets at the moment. And, but I think that within two years, a revolution is coming because in 2015, the world realized that if it can be connected, it will be connected. And therefore, there'll be a natural differentiation that will be made between connected gadgets and connected healthcare. But today, uh, yes, we are the first ones that really made med- connected medical devices. How did that come about? Tell me the story about how you actually got those products into Apple and convinced them that they needed to go in this direction. It wasn't just, as I said, when I say iHealth is not just me, it's a group of dedicated individuals worldwide. We are today probably the world's largest manufacturer of medical diagnostics. We also are an OEM manufacturer, so we manufacture for most of the other brands. Basically, we manufacture about 50% of all blood pressure monitors sold in Europe. So over the years, for the genesis of the iHealth product, is basically, I don't know if you remember buying your first iPhone, Dan? I do. You remember that incredible experience when it arrives and even the cellophane around the box is perfectly straight and you open it and it's like a jewel inside. And what had struck us with the iPhone at the time, it was the iPhone 3, was that it was delivered without an instruction book and without the battery, I mean, with the battery preloaded. So you intuitively knew you just had to press that button and it was going to work. And I remember us thinking... We want to make devices that are as simple to use as the iPhone 3. It wasn't really a question of connected health at the beginning. It was really just a question of making devices that were easier to use. And then one thing led to another. And the fact is that the Gorilla Glass touchscreen of the iPhone is a seductive device. It was the first device that was visually tactile. So we just remember thinking... It would be amazing if our medical devices had a screen that was as easy to use as the the iPhone. Originally, it was really a question of us trying to develop our own screen. But then it proved to be way too expensive. And one thing led to the next. And eventually, we thought, well, why not actually use the smartphone itself? The only problem is that it wasn't really possible in 2008 to use the iPhone as a, because the API had not really yet been opened. So we went to see Apple in 2008 and explained to them the idea that we wanted to connect the originally a blood pressure monitor to the iPhone. Again, it's a strange thing to say, but as I mentioned earlier, connected health has today become a nirvana for, for business and everybody wants to do it. But in 2008, generally the reaction from people was relatively negative. Because they would say, well, the only people who buy a smartphone or an iPhone at the time are young, trendy geeks. And people who suffer from hypertension are elderly people. So 
Today, it sounds obvious to connect a device to a smartphone, but in 2008, it was not yet an obvious thing. And it's only around about 2010 when all the magic words started coming out, quantified self, e-health, m-health, sustainable health, that really the true concept of connected health began. In 2008, or the first commercially available product really came onto the market in 2009, but we started working on it in 2008. But in 2009, I don't think that eye health itself was really connected health. I think we were really more a connected blood pressure monitor. It's only after 2010 that we said we want to take all the signals of the body and connect it to a single platform so that people can see the interaction between one disease and another. So you can see that when you lose 200 grams, you see your blood pressure drop, your glucose levels drop, your activity levels go up, and it's much more encouraging than the big stupid decision that everybody takes on the 31st of December. Yeah, I'm pretty sure you've also taken them before in the past. You know, on the 31st of December, you take your New Year's resolutions that this year you're going to stop smoking, you're going to lose weight, you're going to do exercise. But you know within your heart that it's not really going to happen. But if every day you see a little reminder that says, oh, wow, look, I've lost 200 grams and my blood pressure dropped two points or same thing for diabetes. It's called micromanagement. Little decisions every day work much better. And that's basically the gen- genesis of how iHealth got started. So it's also changed our business in many ways because for many years we've been involved in the sickness industry, setting hypertension, diabetes, multiple sclerosis, COPD. And since we've connected the devices, Again, it sounds like a Walt Disney script, but we're really more pushing towards healthcare rather than sickness. And it's a lot easier to sell healthcare because it's a positive purchase. When people buy a a medical device, they're basically buying a, a negative purchase. You don't buy it because you want to, but because you have to. Whereas where you buy, when you buy a connected health device, you, you tend to choose to buy that device because it's connected, because it's cool, because you have better understanding. And because of that, you use it more often. And you're going to have a better result, and you can track, manage, share your results with your doctor. There's only only positive sides to connected health, apart from the gadgetization. Let's talk about that. So you talked about connected gadgets and how they need to transfer into connected health. What are some of the things that need to happen for that transition to become a reality? Well, today, in the last year, I've seen a big shift from wearable technology to forgettable technology. Again, wearable means that you buy the device and choose to use it and it's fancy schmancy and you buy an activity tracker, a scale, a blood pressure monitor. And now there's a big shift to moving towards forgettable technology that you're actually buying technology and you're actually using it without even being aware that it's there. Technology is integrating itself in an insidious manner in smartphones directly. I don't know if you saw that iHealth has just been commissioned to work with Google on the new Ara phone. The, to make the modules that will fit behind the phone. And these kind of phones, that means that you will wear the device with you 24 hours a day. Another example is I've just launched the iHealth Rhythm ECG, uh, which is a patch that you just put on your chest and you will wear it for 72 hours and it will, it's waterproof and you can, it will record everything having to, to do with your heart for the next 72 hours. And uh, the, the fact that it's becoming forgettable really makes it much more acceptable in the, for the end user. The big problem that we're having now is that people are asking the questions, what is the difference between a connected, me- connected device and a connected medical device? The fact is nothing has changed. 
A connected medical device is a device that is clinically validated in the case of a blood pressure monitor against the British Hypertension Society or the ESH protocol. A glucose monitor is, re- is validated according to the ISO 15197 well, protocol. The validation standards are already there for medical devices. The problem is that people are not yet all applying these standards. And from the end user point of view, it's becoming a bewildering, there's a bewildering array of devices for him to choose from. And he doesn't really know what is the right clinically validated device that is recommended by doctors, which is one of the reasons why we've pushed for the last two years that we've launched a new range of devices called iHealth Pro, which is made for the doctor, for the GP, mostly aimed at doing preventative healthcare at the GP level. And it's quite interesting. Telemedicine is one of the only words that has got both a Greek and a Latin etymology. It's tele from travel in Greek and medici from, uh, from medicine from medici in Latin. And making data travel rather than making the patient travel. And for the first time now with iHealth Pro, we establish a system where, for instance, the doctor has an application called iHealth Pro. And he tells his patient, go buy yourself a, a connected device. And with your permission, anything that you do at home will automatically appear in the doctor's medical file. So really, the true definition of telemedicine, making the data travel rather than making the patient uh, travel. And I believe that, for instance, in the next two years, you will not be able to buy a device that is not connected. You will no longer be able to buy an unconnected blood pressure monitor. So it will integrate itself automatically into the life of the doctor's. But there's still a bit of work to do in terms of marketing and perception of connected health at the doctor's level. Let me ask you, what is your business model? Are you selling the hardware and the software? Are you giving the software away or are you selling the software and lowering the price on the hardware? We have three different business divisions. So we have iHealth for the public. iHealth takes the signals of your body and translates them into a meaningful format using a tactile platform. Can you repeat that after me, please, Dan? <laughs> <laughs> so iHealth is taking care of all the public diseases or, and wellness. It's blood pressure, weight, diabetes, exercise, sport. And it's all run through one single application called iHealth My Vitals, available for iOS, Windows, uh, Android. It's available on all formats. It's a free application. And it's really based on a standard B2C business model where we make devices, sell them through the normal existing channels, and the people download the free app and use the device, all right? Then we have another division called iHealth Pro, making devices for preventative healthcare at the GP level, and that is really also with a free application. And then we have a third division called iHealth Discovery, where we're making, uh, doing health management programs, and it's based on a business principle called PM to the power of three, per member, per module, per month. So we subsidize the cost of the devices. Basically, Dan, if I ask you right now to give me 50 cents, you'll give me 50 cents because 50 cents is not money. But if everybody gives 50 cents every month, then it becomes really, really interesting. So it allows us to subsidize the devices for a completely negligible cost. And it allows the insurance companies or medical aids or hypertension management programs to distribute my devices basically for free. The data gets sent through to our servers where they get automatically analyzed by algorithms, intelligent algorithms that are learning as they go along on the health, the management of the specific person. And every day the person is getting specific messages that are encouraging him to better manage his health. 
So the eye health discovery program now is becoming quite popular. We have ongoing clinical trials in South Africa, in Israel, in England, well, in most countries, actually. So I have about 30 ongoing clinical trials to be to reduce the cost of disease management, population management, population health, basically. I cannot say there's one business model that works better than the other. We have B2C with eye health, B2P, business to professionals with eye health pro, and B2B2C with uh, the eye health discovery platform. Thanks for that overview. Now, I know that design is very important to you. You described the Apple experience of opening up the, your first iPhone, the iPhone 3, and the type of design that you wanted to build into the iHealth line. As you said, you manufacture a variety of different devices. You're an OEM manufacturer for a lot of different companies. Design is very important to you and to your business. How do you embed that in your, your practices, into your team, into your products? What are the sorts of things that you're doing to engage professionals and users and, and patients, which are really people and consumers? Well, I have the, the privilege in Paris of working with some of the world's best engineers and designers, particularly with Mathieu Rojot, who I, I really consider to be the Jonathan Eyes of healthcare today, Jonathan Eyes being the chief designer for Apple. I work a lot on what I call in temporal design. For me, a design must still be beautiful in 20, 30, 40 years. At the same time, we need to work on what I call the wow factor, that people open the box and they think, wow, I'm so happy I bought this product. So really attention to detail that every single feature, every single part of the product, anything that gives an impression of the product has to be absolutely perfect. So it's a gradual process. I have a set of firm guidelines in terms of what we are looking for when you make a product. But making a product is, I mean, having an idea is easy. It's then actually knowing what you're going to do with the product in the future. A, a silly example, I consider my scales to be works of art. I've actually sent two of them to MoMA in New York. I'm trying to get them into the design collection of the Museum of Modern Art. Making a beautiful product is one thing. Beautiful sheets of white glass with retina display screens, wonderful. But it's the smallest and most stupid things that make the difference. On every scale now, I've just added a sticker, just a peel-off sticker, that when you open the box and there's this little sticker on the scale that says, you are more than just a number, you are beautiful. And even the men like it. You open the box, you think, oh, <laughs> you know, is, is that what I mean by attention to detail where you think... <gasps> This is, what I, this is what I want to do. But again, when you design a product, you have to think in terms of who's going to buy it, who's going to use it, how are you going to distribute it, are you going to distribute it through the clinical, is it designed for doctors, is it designed for end users, is it designed for a little old lady who doesn't have any education, who doesn't even know how to use a smartphone. All of these questions come in at the end, so you have a product. Sometimes I'll make up to 20, 30, 40 different prototypes until I actually find the product that I'm really 100% satisfied with. And do you present those products often to patients and users or do you, uh, do you have a very stringent internal review process? I mean, Steve Jobs is well known for his philosophy about you know, not revealing products until he was happy with them. But uh, I think a lot of times in the medical field, we're, we have a process of presenting ideas and presenting uh, form factors and shapes and getting feedback. Do you have that sort of iteration built into iHealth? I wish I could say yes. I wish I could. But as I said, I have some of the world's best people, 22 of the world's best engineers, people, marketing. Also, we have a lot of patients in our team. Myself, uh, I myself am a patient, and I really try to project myself into the feet of the patient himself. 
you know, I have, I suffer from a chronic disease. So I, I design products as much for myself. Today, uh, we have about 54 ongoing R&D projects. And of the ongoing R&D projects, about 80% of them are what you call evolution products. Basically, the lifespan of a product today is about 18 months, maximum 24 months before it needs to be replaced by a better, faster, cheaper model. For instance, the lifespan of a blood pressure monitor is about 18 months before it needs to be replaced. Same thing for a scale, for a glucometer. And so an evolution product is for me not an R&D project. It's really more about making things even cooler, even easier to use. So we have 80% evolution. 15% of my products are revolution products. For me, a revolution product is where I'll take a technology and we'll pervert it to give it a new meaning. We'll transform it. My ECG, for instance, I, we didn't invent the ECG. We just took the e electrocardiogram and converted it into a new shape that makes it accessible for the GP rather than just the cardiologist. So that, for me, is a revolution product. So 80% evolution, 15% revolution, and at least 5% of the products we do are what we call moonshots. So, so a moonshot product is basically a product where I need to develop the technology to be able to develop the technology. One of them, for instance, is non-invasive diabetes on which we're working for. And I'm hoping that by November next year, we'll be able to launch a non-invasive glucometer. We now have a working sample of a non-invasive glucometer, but it's, the problem is that it only works if you don't have diabetes. It's perfectly accurate if you don't have diabetes. And as you go to the maxima and minima, there are extrapolations that actually make it less accurate. So now I'm working on this technology. And a, a, basically, a moonshot product is something where I, I just piss away money on R&D and research, not knowing when I'm going to be able to launch a product, but knowing that one day I will be able to launch a product. And so it's too early for me to even talk about design for these products because, again, design perception will have changed in the next 20 years. I think that we're moving more towards invisible design, design that people don't notice, that integrate itself into your everyday life. So I don't, I mean, in answer to you, the true answer to your question is that, no, we don't really have a direct relationship with patients because we are ourselves patients and we put ourselves into the feet of patients. But on the other hand, we do have doctors, engineers, designers, marketing people. Uh, we also, we would never launch a product without, for instance, discussing it first with Apple. Uh, there, there's no yes or yeah, black and white answer to that question then. But about what you're working on with Google, I know that you've worked very closely with Apple in the past. What is it that you have ongoing with Google now? Well, you know, Google is launching a new generation of mobile phones that is a modular phone. It's called the Aero phone. And it's basically you'll have hundreds, you'll have a basic screen and at the back of the screen you'll be able to clip on uh, various different modules, speakers, recorders, uh, cameras, different uh, definition cameras. And iHealth is developing a new set of medical devices that will clip onto the back of the phone directly. So that includes uh, devices such as glucometers, uh, pulse oximeters, etc. will clip directly onto the phone. What has you most excited about technology in the next two to five years? In the next two to five years, I think that in five years, we will no longer recognize healthcare. Uh, do you know how many people were on the planet in year zero, Dan, 2,000 years ago? There was about 200 million people, all right? It took 1,790 years to reach to 1 billion, and then it started increasing incrementally. When I was born in 1965, there were 3.5 billion people on the planet. 
All right. That's, uh, and in my life for 50 years, we've doubled it to 7.4 billion people. All right. The first Cray supercomputer came out in 1974. The supercomputer, meaning you can run a country from it with teraflops of memory. An iPhone 6 is a thousand times more powerful than a Cray supercomputer of 1974. All right. So that means that today you have 7.4 billion people who have access to the computational power of 1,000 Cray supercomputers. So the big data aspect of it that everybody's going to be able to develop new technology is something that is amazing. Another key issue for me that we're working on right now is DNA. DNA is going to be a next game changer. Basically, now we've deciphered DNA. We've uh, deciphered the alphabet. And the next step is to actually use this alphabet to start writing new books. So it's a bit of a trite uh, simile. But DNA is basically the instruction book for writing life. And now we're working on these kind of new technologies. The world is working on, the, on harnessing the power of DNA. Then, we, of course, we have nanotechnology, which in the next 20 years, I think, will have cured most of the diseases. In the 20 years, we won't have hypertension anymore. We'll just inject your arteries with nanorobots that will rotor-root your arteries like vulgar plumbing. One of the most exciting things, things that is coming is also 3D printing. I, I've been working a lot with 3D printing, 3D printing together with my brother Olaf. Uh, we have, uh, he's one of the world's experts in 3D, in SolidWorks and 3D printing. And basically today we can print out of any material that can be melted. And the only material that cannot be melted is wood. So now we're starting to start printing from stem cells. We're printing from nylon. We're printing from gold, from platinum, from titanium. I know in Israel they're busy working on a printed, a 3D printed pancreas. In Russia they're doing a 3D printed heart from stem cells. In the next 20 years we'll be also able to replace any organ of your body. So all these kind of technologies. The biggest thing is again, the biggest change is going to be big data. I mentioned earlier that in the next two years, anything that can be connected will be connected. So it's going to generate these huge profusions of data. Unfortunately, today, we haven't yet, yet harnessed the power of big data. Today, we basically take the data, we put it on secure servers, and we regurgitate it in a palatable format. The future is really to take this data and to start doing cross-epidemiological studies and to start doing socioeconomic studies, to cross that data with cheese consumption in Chicago, with the weather patterns to really start understanding where diseases come from, where they're going, and how you can harness them. A big key area of research is also going to be, for me, the environment. Any environmental company, by definition, is bound to succeed because of a simple factor is that basically the planet Earth is 4.7 4 billion years old, which is a really, really long time, and man only appeared... 10,000 years ago, which is a very short time. But if you put the 47, 4.7 billion years on a period of 47 years, it means that man appeared less than one year ago, that the Industrial Revolution of 1820 appeared less than a minute ago, and in that last minute, we have destroyed 50% of the world's natural resources in the, in the last minute of the existence of mankind. And uh, the planet, as I said earlier, is today populated by 7.4 billion uh, users. And it's designed for about 12, 13 billion people, which will have reached by 2030, 2040. At some stage, we're either going to have too many people or we're going to have to really do some serious work on the environment. 
We, uh, iHealth is also involved quite actively, or the mother company of iHealth, in environmental ventures where we're working, trying to build a Google map of the environment uh, of the sky of pollution so we can actually then use that data to do studies with COPD and asthma and see if we can actually put all of that together to understand the diseases better. I feel like I could talk to you for hours, Uwe. Uh, it's another great conversation. I, I always enjoy hearing your take on things. I have a few questions that I'd like to ask Absolutely. you. What's the best advice or your favorite quote or saying that motivates you? My favorite quote is from Marcel Proust, French writer. The real voyage of discovery consists not in seeking new landscapes, but in having new eyes. It's to really look at things that are already there and to start using them properly. Most people are always looking what they call for a blue ocean. They're looking at a revolution. And it's important to take what you have today to understand it and to really start using it as much as possible. You're an innovator in healthcare. What advice do you have for other innovators and entrepreneurs working in health? Having an idea is easy. That's the easy part. But then it's actually knowing how you're going to develop the idea, where you're going to take it. Also having the faith, really believing that what you are doing is the right thing. If you're just doing it for the money, it's boring. It behooves us to always try to make the world a better place. I'm 100% convinced that what I'm doing today is the right thing. In five years, I'll tell you a completely different story, but I'll still be 100% convinced that what I'm doing is exactly the right thing. I don't do things just for the money. What book would you recommend to our listeners and why? I'm a, I have a European classical education. One of my my favorite books of all time is Hundred Years of Solitude by Gabriel Garcia Marquez. Not just because of the opening phrase, the opening phrase, which is that perfectly rounded phrase where many years later, Colonel Ariana Buandas, as he was facing the firing squad, remembered that distant afternoon of the past when his father had taken him to discover ice. It's a beautifully rounded phrase. But then it continues to say, in those days, Macondo was a little village on the side of a river with giant stones that looked like prehistoric eggs. And the world was so new that many things lacked names. And in order to actually discover them, you had to point them with a finger. And now in technology, we are really at that stage where technology is moving so fast that we don't yet have names for it. We're creating new technology and we literally have to point it with a finger to show what it is. It's a Brilliant, brilliant book. But it's really more of a literary recommendation than, a, than an economic one. What technology, tool, or app besides Slack would you recommend and why? As a private user, I think, I think today the fastest moving apps are WeChat. Slack is a fast moving one. In terms of software, I'm also seeing that we're moving more and more towards Meteor software, towards React software, which is used a lot by Facebook. Whereas uh, the new React software, Meteor software, are allowing us to start putting emotion into analytics. And that is actually starting to make us understand what the people are, are really looking for, not just what they're typing in terms of words. And the last question is for you, Uwe. We're going to be making a financial donation to a charity of your choice. What charity have you selected? And can you tell us a little bit about what they do? Uh, historically, I'm a great believer in sharing as much as possible. I give tons and tons of material equipment to various African charities. I give to, to a number of them, so I cannot pinpoint one. But one of my favorite one is still UNICEF. I'm still a big giver to UNICEF. And that's the first uh, thing that I would choose because it's one of the charities where you know where the money is going. It's not just an organization. So well, that's great. So uh, UNICEF, we'll make a donation to UNICEF. And thanks very much for recommending them. 
Uve, that brings us to the end of our time together. Is there anything else that you'd like to add to our audience before we uh, let you go? My, my fi- final advice would be that really follow your heart. Make the advice that you really truly believe in. The money will come. It's really about having the passion, the mission, the vision to really define what you're trying to achieve is really the most important thing for me. Very well said. Thank you very much for that advice, Uve. I really appreciate it. And thanks for being with us here on the show. It's my absolute pleasure, Dan. And you have a wonderful day. And well, greetings from sunny Paris. Well, there you have it. Uve Deagle of iHealth Labs. Don't forget to visit iHealthLabs.com and use the code DIGITALHEALTH, all one word, to receive 20% off your purchase. Once you've done that, get in touch with me and let me know about your experience. You can tweet me at HealthTechDan or drop me a line on host at DigitalHealthToday.com. Check out all the show notes at digitalhealth.com forward slash 11 for links to all the topics we covered here. We've got more great guests to store in the coming weeks. Far John Marr from the Digital Health Maven podcast joins us to discuss the first wave of his research in digital health. And Neil Jordan, the global head of health for Microsoft, joins to share some insight about the projects and developments Microsoft is working on around the world. Even more great innovators and leaders are coming up, so be sure to subscribe in iTunes. And while you're there, please take a minute to leave a review. That will help other people to find us and be a part of our growing digital health community. Last thing I want to mention before I go, the Fall Health 2.0 event is promising to be another great event in the Health 2.0 calendar. It's taking place this year from the 25th to the 28th of September in Santa Clara, California. And this year is their 10th year running, so they're really putting on an extra special program. Over 2,000 industry leaders from around the world will be there, and I hope you will be there too. You can find more information on the events page on digitalhealthtoday.com, or you can go directly to their website at health2con.com, health2con.com. That's all for me for now. Thanks very much for tuning in, and until next time, keep on innovating.